Hello, and welcome to The Art of Aging, which is part of the Abundant Aging podcast series from United Church Homes. Uh, on this show, we look at what it means to age in America and in other places around the world with positive and empowering conversations that challenge, encourage, and inspire everyone everywhere to age with abundance. Our guest today is Tom Beauregard, and I'll tell you, I, I don't think there's much he can't tell you about aging innovation in the healthcare sector. And we're here to talk about a pretty important subject, which is the looming crisis that we're going to have in long-term care, the affordability of long-term care, and how we can start now to address it. Tom has over 30 years of innovation experience across the healthcare, public policy, academia, and nonprofit worlds. He is the former executive vice president and chief innovation officer for a small company called United Health Group, where he oversaw R&D for both United Health and Optum. Additionally, he's a former national practice leader of A.M. Hewitt, as well as a senior advisor on the board of HealthSphere. And I think most importantly, he and his team are building something pretty special with their venture, HCG Secure, which was founded in 2019. HCG Secure is an innovative developer of fintech solutions, which are meant to address the future costs of long-term care, our subject today. And Tom was inspired to found HCG Secure when, he, when his parents reached an age where they were unable to fully care for themselves, but wished to age at home. Limited by geography and his parents' needs for local resources, he found the process both overwhelming and difficult to find solutions to ensure that his parents were receiving the best possible care from afar. And that's, of course, not an uncommon thing. Stunned by the lack of coverage and resources to support these needs, Tom made it his mission to create solutions that offer the network and coverage needed for individuals and their loved ones to age comfortably in the places they choose to call home. As you might expect, Tom went to college. He's a graduate of Hobart and William Smith Colleges, and he's got an MBA from the University of Connecticut. He also received an Emmy for his work with the National Diabetes Prevention Program in partnership with YUSA and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. It was called Project Not Me, and he was executive producer. So Tom, welcome. Thanks, Mike. Really happy to be here. Awesome. And I do want to put a quick plug in for United Church Homes' Ruth Frost Parker Center. The sponsor of this series and also of our annual symposium in, symposium in October. Uh, visit unitedchurchhomes.org slash Parker hyphen center for more information about its good works, this year's topic, and how you can get involved. All right. So, Tom, right out of the bat, I got to ask you, you've got the Emmy. Is it the Grammy, the Oscar, or the Tony that you're going for next? Because I, I know that's on your list. Yeah, none of the above. The Emmy was... Uh kind of a fun outcome of an important project that we did at United. But uh, now I think that's the end of my my big award career. <laughs> All right. So we're going to let the sort of Sir Elton John have it then, I guess. So uh, he, he, can, he can step into that that spotlight. But look, I mean, you, you're, you, you, you've had a very long and, and well-respected career at United. You're, you're definitely a, a very well-known leader in the healthcare world. But now you with, the, with, 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 with HCG Secure, You've delved into fintech. You've delved into you know the world of long-term care. I mean, how does a guy from United Health find his way into this work? Yeah, it's kind of a a two-part answer from a professional perspective. When I was at United, you know, we saw all the time that that folks in the Medicare market had a blind spot. They just they had some expectation, and there's data out there on this, but they had an expectation that somehow Medicare would cover some form of extended care. And, and we know that it doesn't. I mean, long-term care is covered in the Medicaid market. It is not covered in the Medicare market. So that was a, you know, real source of tension with members, you know, families that were in crisis and, you know, at that moment realized that they didn't have adequate coverage. 
And on the personal side of the equation, and, and you made reference to this in your introduction, I did have an experience with my parents that was pretty rough over about a four-year period where we were, you know, as a family trying to figure out my father had dementia that was progressive and my mom had pulmonary disease. And, you know, I had great clinical resources, good network. We thought we could figure this out, but it was, it was a mess. You know, we made all kinds of errors. And as I was going through that hard personal experience, you know, you really start to think about families that, that don't have resources and, and frankly, don't have funding to cover all the out-of-pocket expenses that are associated with, whether it's home care or institutional care. So that's why I'm passionate about identifying solutions, primarily for middle-income families in this space. Yeah. And what you said before about just kind of this surprise, I mean, you know, I got to think, you know, there's a sizable percentage of people out there that think that Medicare is going to cover long-term care. Yeah. Health, right? Yeah, absolutely. And again, there's a lot of data and frankly, families don't even want to think about this, right? It's everybody wants to think that they're not going to fall into that position later in life. But, you know, the hard reality is 70% of us do. 70% of us do. So that's, so over two thirds of us are going to fall into a need for long-term care costs yeah. out of pocket, long-term right. care costs. And, and I just got to think of those families that, that suddenly are at need. And they, they go to their Medicare plan and it's kind of a huge surprise, right? Yeah. And, you know, if you look at the numbers on this, it's frankly, it's late in life, right? People start to have functional decline generally and, and cognitive decline or both when they're in their, you know, late seventies and, and eighties. So they're spent down, you know, from a financial perspective, a middle income family has very little left at that point. They have social security and they have Medicare, but in terms of ability to cover what can be really significant out-of-pocket expenses, you know, $50,000 a year roughly for in-home care, over 100000 for institutional, depending on where you live. It's a deal breaker for families. Yeah, you know, and we had Bob Kramer on the show last year with the National Investment Center, and we were talking about the same thing. And, you know, we've got you know, middle-income families, you know, off, and, and, and what we were talking about in the opening, you know, you know you've got, let's say, I'm just going to pick up persona here. You've got maybe an aging couple. They're in the home that they bought right. say back in the 60s, you know, suburban environment, all the equities, you know, tied up in the home. They, they're proud to pay off the home. Right. Uh, and for, I guess, the generation we have now, I mean, the people that are aging into their 70s and 80s, I think on average, they didn't really have as acute an experience with paying for long-term care needs because people would pass earlier. And there was also a higher prevalence of, of pensions and things like that to maybe cover those costs. But that's, that's all changed, right? Yeah. The other thing that's changed is family structure, right? Families are spread out in ways that they weren't historically. So if you look at, you know, baby boomers who are heading towards this event, you know, their kids are living all over the country. And I always do think about that family you're describing. You know, if you think about what middle income means, if you have a 65 year old couple, that has a home that they paid for that might be worth, you know, $200,000. Then all their other savings are really in 401k and just general savings. So they, you know, they might head into retirement with a $500,000 total asset base, but as a couple, they have a 90% chance of having a long-term care event between them, right? From an actuarial standpoint, it'll happen late in life and their assets are spent down. So oftentimes what's left is the house and social security 
and the kids if they have them. And what sort of costs are we talking about here? You know, I've been seeing it. I mean, Genworth always puts out these, you know, costs of care surveys. Yeah. And, you know, I've taken a look at them, look at them for the last six or seven years. And it used to be average cost $50,000, you know, maybe it's 60000 I've seen $100,000. I mean, this is not chump change. No, and, it, and, you know, the way it generally starts is, you know, folks have declined and they need some level of support. And sometimes that's just in-home support for a period of time, but typically this only goes in one direction. A good percentage, a very high percentage of folks can stay at home and, and not, again, to get to insurancy, but, you know, the average long-term care claim is uh, less than three years. So if you can keep somebody in their home over that three-year period to the end of life, which is where people want to be, you can, you know, contain this at a level that's, you know, under $200,000, you know, in that sort of average scenario. And so when you start to think about what people need in this demographic, they need a form of extended care that doesn't, you know, go up to five, $600,000 or a million dollars run limited. They just need to cover that sort of average gap and that makes it more affordable and it makes it easier for them to access. I, I get it. I get it. And I think just having resources like that when you're at, you know, at your time of need, I mean, you know, I've heard that, you know, generally families just need a good head start and, and then, you know, the, you know, things kind of fall into place. But I'm just thinking of the numbers here. Let's continue to think about the numbers. We're thinking okay. about here we are in 2024, recording this in early 2024. We're now 10 years out from that magic uh, date that, that, that us in the longevity okay. space know where it's like more people over the age of 65 than under the, under the age of 18. So the demand for these services, the demand for long-term care supports, I mean, I'm just thinking about just sort of like you strike a table and the vibrations hit, they hit families, yeah. they hit workforce, they hit Medicare. I don't think there's going to be a Medicare long-term ben care benefit anytime soon. I think that would just, the cost of it just astronomical. But I'm just thinking now the impact of the Medicaid programs. I mean, you know, it's, it's, I mean, you say people don't like to think about this stuff, but more and more it's going to kind of hit us, isn't it? Well, and, and I think there is growing recognition, right? I think baby boomers have had or are having experiences with their own families. So that sort of Medicare blind spot is starting to, to disappear a bit as families recognize with their own loved ones that it's, it's a cluster financially and emotionally. And your point on the sort of the public sector response to this, the states are starting to move, which I think is really important. So the, the Washington state model that launched and then got pulled back and is launching again with some revisions, there are about 15, 16 states right now that are seeing what this baby boomer movement into Medicaid ultimately, you know, when they spend down, will do from a deficit perspective. I mean, this is going to be the, this will crush Medicaid programs. So there are states that are starting to focus on this correctly and come forward with sort of minimal levels of benefits that would be mandatory in the state funded by payroll tax if you're in the public program or with proof of having adequate private sector coverage. Yeah. And, uh, and that's the Washington state program, right? So yeah. Washington state has a payroll tax. It's going to go into a fund. That fund is going to fund the long-term care benefit in the Medicaid yeah. program. Sure. The, the exemption for individuals is if they have a qualified um, private sector plan. 
Yeah, but I got to think, you know, I mean, and look, there's other great Medicaid benefits that we know about. I know California and other states will pay families for caregiving duties, right. uh, which is huge. And if you have to leave a job or if you have to work part time or things like that, that's great. But just the act, I mean, again, going back to that persona of that couple that have had that, that, that home for decades and decades, and now the assets are in the home and to, or if it's like to afford things, they may have to sell that phone. They may have to spend down to Medicaid. I mean, that's a pretty humbling process, you know? And increasingly difficult because the states are concerned about the Medicaid budget correctly. So the five-year look back in Medicaid, it's, you know, those, the sort of eligibility will tighten up over time as the financial strain of long-term care really starts to hit the states. You need some combination of public sector action, which we're starting to see at the state level and private sector innovation. And that's, that's where we're fixated. It's, it's in creating more affordable, extended care, long-term care solutions for middle-income families. And look, you know, this, you know, the history on this from a private sector standpoint, and we've had, we had a lot of long-term care. I mean, I can remember, you know, when I first started at AARP and we sort of saw this sort of wave of, of long-term care insurance. I mean, maybe it's not a wave. This is my perspective on being a brand new <laughs> American immigrant at that point. So it wasn't built up on the history, but there has been this long-term care insurance they don't offer these long-term care insurance plans anymore. What's happened with, with traditional long-term care insurance? Well, the market really pulled back because the losses were pretty significant in sort of the original long-term care programs. And, you know, there's a whole series of reasons for it. You know, technically interest rate assumptions were off and mortality assumptions were off. So the programs were priced inadequately and loss ratio spiraled. What you're seeing now, and, and, and I think the numbers are less than 5% of people in this country actually have a, a long-term care program. And people that buy long-term care programs, they tend to be wealthier, right? It's more of an asset protection play. So folks that have a financial advisor, they want to protect their, their considerable assets for their family. Um, they buy policies relatively young and they, you know, long-term care policies are strenuously underwritten. And that gets back to the losses that occur, you know, with the original sort of set of programs. So the rejection rates are high. And so when you start to look at sort of that traditional long-term care world, and then there's another category of programs that are called hybrids, but they, they're basically life insurance policies that allow you to accelerate for long-term care. They tend to have very high maximum amounts. They'll cover your long-term care, but they're really expensive and they're medically underwritten. So if somebody at, you know, back to our couple at 65, a light comes on and they decide that they need some form of care, they're unlikely to get through the underwriting requirements for traditional programs. And if they do, they're unlikely to be able to afford it. So that's, that's sort of the state of the sort of the current insurance industry for middle-class families, which means, you know, just too expensive and not accessible. Yeah. And I don't know you to be a person that, that tackles small problems. We've outlined a, a really big set of problems here. I mean, not, you know, the, 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 the affordability of, of, of care, the number of people that are planning for care and not just having, you know, it's, it's not just the money. It's just actually having a game plan, right? Now you're in this situation. How do you deal with it? So all that being said, you know, you've, you know, you've really fallen in love with this problem. You know, at, again, at, at United Church Homes, we love human-centered design. That's one of the tenets of human-centered design, you know, develop solutions by falling in love with the problem first. But you're now addressing this, right? But you've built 
you know, HCG Secure, you're starting to put offerings into the market. Can you describe what your approach is? How you, you yeah. see the failings? What, what do you think the solution was? Like? Right. So what we've done is we have three products in the market right now. One is called Legacy, one is called Healthcare Secure, and one is called Life Select. And what those products have in common is, you know, back to sort of my description of that family, they're easy to access, meaning they have very high acceptance rates without medical underwriting. So it's a simplified underwriting process. We're thinking about that 65-year-old couple. How do they access care? The second thing that they have in common is that they have lower limits than its traditional long-term care lower coverage amounts. And, and what we're trying to do for families is to say, hey, cover that two and a half or three year gap. That's what you can afford as a middle income family. And from an actuarial standpoint, that's what you ought to target. Don't overinsure. So they have what, you know, in, in sort of insurance terms is, is lower coverage levels, shorter tails. And that's important as well because it makes them more affordable and less risky for the insurance markets. The third thing they have in common, which is really important, and you touched on this, is we've integrated a set of services for families that are secondary to the insurance, but really important. So, you know, back to that couple, most middle income people, they retire, they don't have advanced care plans. A, a high percentage of them surprisingly don't have wills, even though they own homes. So these are families that they don't have dedicated financial advisors. They've been putting money into their 401ks. They don't typically have an insurance broker relationship because they've been relying on employer-based coverage. So they come into retirement, they haven't really given a lot of thought to long-term care. They don't have the right documentations in place. Um, so what we've done with our insurance products is surrounded them with services. So when someone buys one of our policies, we can help them put a will together. We have a relationship with a company called Trust and Will. We can help them with their advanced care plan. If they need long-term care support, we have a strategic relationship with Wealthy and Wealthy's fabulous. So our members get access to all of their self-service content and their care coordinators if they need to make a plan for extended care. I won't take you through all the services, but we have seven sort of strategic relationships that are way upstream of the insurance need. And what we're there, we're helping people do is to say, hey, here's a checklist. You're just retired. Here are the things that you should have in place. We can help you. So it's a variety of services that we offer, but they're tied into the insurance, which is really targeting these middle-income families and, you know, basically getting them prepared for a potential long-term care need. Yeah, yeah. And so, so just, I mean, it's, you know, we always talk about this thing about, you know, getting people to eat their vegetables, right? And let me ask you a question under that scenario. So I'm, if I'm retiring, I'm saying, or rather, I'm, in a, I'm now in a position to take Medicare. Uh, I'm used to paying premiums through an employer. Uh, now, it's the, am I, do I got extra money now that, that I'm sort of with the employer program and now I'm with Medicare? And then, yeah, it's, it's actually it's, it's, a, affordability. it's a great way to look at it. And we actually have a good number of large Medicare brokerage entities that are are selling our products for that very reason. Somebody's coming out of the, the workforce, they're moving into Medicare, which is subsidized, and they have a gap. They have a gap in this extended care space. So we actually have one of our large brokerage entities that focuses on the Medicare market starting to bundle our extended care products into with MedSup. So that's 
you know, I think that's brilliant. It wasn't our idea, but it's, it's a really smart way to align with that retirement event. We also have long-term care brokers who are moving forward, marketing our programs. And they're doing that because it's, it opens up the middle market to them. Typically, they just sell to, to much wealthier people back to that asset planning model. And then we have employers and affinity groups who see this as relevant and are starting campaigns. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just seems like these, you know, like you do your health check. I mean, there's this wellness check. And so if I get the journey here, you know, I'll come in and I'll, you know, I'll, again, the, the pricing, I, I don't want you to rattle off a bunch of, you know, prices here, but, you know, the affordability is, is for people that are, you know, are middle income. Yep. They get the policy. Immediately they're offered um, resources to help with sort of those checklist things you got to have in place. I guess it's just really about about trying to find that magic moment where people have uh, have really hit them. I mean, because again, you know, you've got you know, folks. Again, you're a guy that was an executive at one of the largest health payers in the country. You struggled with organizing care at time of need. I mean, there's this great equalizer that seems to happen. You mentioned wealthy. I like the thought of wealth. So wealthy is. We have a service at United Church Homes called Navigide, where it's kind of a concierge or a resource to help you navigate challenging issues in aging, like you know finding a home care company or getting on a waiver program or things like that. But it looks like Wealthy is able to kind of offer something at this planning stage, and then when you're actually at time of need, you got you got, I don't know. I guess when you're talking about your products, someone will buy fifty, sixty, eighty, a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars worth of coverage. They, they're starting to get those resources. And Correct. then now, but, but, so you plan, you offer planning support at the start. You're in contact with people because you know, I'll tell you something, man, with my life insurance program from USAA, I hear from them once a year when my policy, you know, just to reconfirm my, my, my policy, what, what I pay every single month. Between the time where they, sort of get these resources and then the time of claim, are you still keeping in touch with them? We are. So, you know, very specifically when someone receives their policy, what's called their fulfillment kit, they get a, a description of all the services that come upstream from the insurance. Then we're doing regular outreach, trying to engage members, sending them checklists, um, letting them know what services are available, uh, directing them to content that we're delivering. So we're absolutely focused on engaging with consumers to really have them take advantage of the services and have a plan. I mean, if you fall into that category of, you know, 30%, you never need the long-term care insurance. There's still value in all these upstream services in terms of getting your life organized for your loved ones. What's, I mean, what sort of feedback are you hearing there? I mean, it's, you know, I've lived through experiences at, you know, AARP where I worked in home care, others where Again, it's just this idea that, that you're, you're seeing, and you know, and I'm, I'm an economics geek, so I can see the, the wave. And, and by the way, with 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 uh, Ruth Frost Parker, we do not call it a tsunami because tsunamis are destructive. <laughs> <laughs> so it's good. <laughs> Hashtag a- ageism. <laughs> Is there has there anything that sort of comes to mind or have learned about you know what kind of motivates somebody to take action here, or, or are there certain types of? Is it just a certain type of person that's more of a planner, or are you? I mean. You, Again, with the way that you developed this yeah. set of solutions, you've gone through a lot of test and learn. I, I think, and we're pretty early, but I, I would say it's sort of the personal event that occurs, right? Someone's parent went through this and an adult child 
50, 60 years old got drawn in and realized how difficult this was and then recognized that they, they have that gap, right? So there's the personal event that will drive, that will motivate people towards products like this. But I also think, and we were touching on this, it's that moment, you know, transitioning into Medicare or if you have a relationship with a broker who reaches out and says, hey, Mike, you know, this is a gap in your plan, right? You've got life insurance, you have dental, you've got Medicare, you know, you bought your vision plan, but this is a gap. So I think there's different ways to get people to eat their vegetables. I think the most powerful is certainly that personal experience, which again, more and more baby boomers are living through. Yeah. And I think that it's, it's, I mean, we always like to say that, you know, there are brands out there that have really just spent decades just, you know, just putting their association between, you know, help at time of need and, and, and the situation you fall into. I'm thinking of, of things like a place for mom and all that, okay. where, you know, you're talking about solutions that emerge, you know, right at that moment and, right. and then you, you reach for it, you know? And I mean, and that's, I mean, look, you're early into this space, you're building the brand, you're working through, you know, you know these channels. And do you see any, I mean, I know we've done a lot of conversations on the show with people in the venture capital series space. I'm hearing more and more about an interest in fintech solutions, right? Are you seeing kind of this momentum where, I mean, you're in the space, other players are getting into this space. How's the energy around the fintech right now? Yeah, there's a lot of interest and money flowing towards caregiver solutions, right? the moment where you actually need to make a plan. And then there's a lot of movement in the sort of flowing into the sort of the, the FinTech from a underwriting perspective, you know, more efficient underwriting, you know, what we're focused on is bringing it together. And I think that kind of is, you know, what we view as our secret sauce, which is we're creating these unique insurance plans that are easier to access and we're bringing in the support services. The experience that we've had with this is really high conversion rates at, at, through the sales process. And frankly, a lot of large brokerage entities, distributions, sources who are coming into contract because they see this issue and they think that they can effectively promote and sell. And where my mind goes now is just kind of back to those players that were offering these solutions back in the eighties and the nineties, you get the Hancocks, Prudentials, the, you know, the, the, G's, Genworths, and all of that. Have they got, I mean, I know they've got probably a lot of claims that are on their books right now, and that takes a lot of capital to cover. I mean, are we seeing innovation from the big players? Are they now looking into these kind of more hybrid or fixed indemnity or, or whatever type, types of... Uh, I, I, I think the, the short answer is less than you might anticipate because, you know, you touched on this, they're managing their books and the industry got pretty badly burned. So there's a lot of sensitivity on, you know, the, you know, offering products with simplified underwriting, even if they do have sort of lower coverage amounts or shorter tails. Yeah, I get it. And, you know, before we wrap up on this subject, I just want to ask, well, first of all, we always like to ask our guests these three questions about their own personal experience with aging. And uh, I know we, we prepped and you're, you're fine with me growing on this one. I, you, we, we, you know, this show is a, is a hopeful show. This show features folks that are really addressing the big issues that we have with aging here. And the, I mean, how do you, you know, you have a sense of hope about the future. 
Is this something where you see there's lights at the end of the tunnel? Are you, are you starting to see things come into place? Are you worried? Are you what gets you excited about moving forward with this project? Yeah, I've, I've got a ton of energy on what we're doing just because it is such a large problem and the reception we're getting from the market, you know, brokers and consumers early on is really strong. So I, I believe in what we're doing. I think we're designing programs and you know, creating these integrated solutions in unbiased, but in a really smart way. And we're getting a, a solid initial reception. So I'm very optimistic. That's awesome. Okay. So now to get to our three questions. Okay. Are you ready? Ready. Ready. This is great. This Usually in my other questions, I, I basically freeform it and I, I tend to ask like four questions at once. So thank you for being able to kind of unpack that and come up with yeah, a of course. response. Also, shout out to my mom. I'm trying to speak slower on the, on the podcast. <laughs> okay. Question number one, Tom, when you think about how you've aged, what do you think has changed about you or grown with you that you really like about yourself? Yeah, I, I would say I've given this some thought. It's patience, right? It's, it's recognizing that, you know, you can't control everything and it's having the patience to be persistent and, you know, just keep at it. And that's, I think that's, that's a major factor as you get older. I gotcha. But, the, but now to question two, though, but what surprised you the most about you as you aged? I think it gets to the question you asked earlier. It's it's just I have passion and ongoing energy to to solve problems in an area where I've got, you know, frankly, decades of expertise. So just applying my subject matter expertise, my network to a problem that I think I can solve. It's awesome. But number three, is there someone that you've met or been in your life that has set a good example for you in aging? Someone that's inspired you to age with abundance? I'm actually surrounded by people that are, you know, older, right? 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, even who are just still going for it, you know? So I, you know, without naming names, I, I, you know, have a friend who's 74 who still competes every year in the CrossFit games and is, you know, at that gym five days a week. One of our investors is Alan Patrickroft from Primetime. And Alan is an absolute inspiration in terms of the, the energy he brings, the ideas that he brings. So I'm just surrounded by people that aren't worried about their age and just keep going for it. And that's terrific. And that's something we've heard from other guests that, you know, just having these, and I think it goes both ways, you know, sort of being inspired by younger people, older people, but there seems to be this through line of energy, passion, curiosity. It kind of keeps people wanting to turn the pages of, the, of, of, of their life book, you know. And, and, and to me, that's actually a really great point. It's not age. It's are you interested in staying on a learning curve? Do you have the energy to make a difference? I, I love that. And I think that's just a great way to wrap up our show. Tom, very much appreciate you being uh, on the show today. And before, actually, before I thank our listeners, Tom, where can we find you? Where can we learn more about HCG Secure? Just go to hcgsecure.com. You've got sort of the ways to contact us, great content, I think, and, and product descriptions. Gotcha. So a special thank you. The biggest thanks, of course, to our listeners for listening to this episode of The Art of Aging, part of the Abundant Aging podcast series from United Church Homes. And we want to hear from you. How concerned are you about the future costs of long-term care? What are you doing 
to to look ahead, perhaps? And how do you anticipate aging? What surprised you this podcast? Who is your abundant aging hero? We want to hear from you. So visit us at AbundantAgingPodcast.com to share your ideas. You can also give us your feedback when you visit the Ruth Ross Parker Center website. That's unitedchurchholmes.org slash Parker hyphen center. As Tom said, find out more about HCG Secure at hcgsecure.com. And again, our sincere thanks, and we will see you next time. Thanks, Mike. This was fun.